Welcome to Skid Mark Show, America's favorite show about cars, rock stars, and the stars that drive cars. And sometimes about rock stars and stars in cars. Starring your host, Jeff Allen, from CNBC's The Car Chasers and the World Air Guitar Championships. And Ethan D., a professional groupie and soloist in his seventh grade choir recital. Join us in our misadventures as we go streaking across America. Powered by Bill. Hey, what's up? This is Neil Sanderson from Three Days Grace, and you are listening to Skidmark Show. Hey, this is Adam Ferrara, and you're listening to Skidmark Show, aren't you? You're enjoying it. I know I am. Hey, this is Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind. You're listening to Skidmark Show. Hey, everybody. It's Ethan D. Welcome to Skidmark Show, episode number 53. And on this episode, we are all over the place. We actually had a couple of different occasions where we were together and we were separate and we had to try and piece all the stuff together to get an episode the best we possibly could for you. So we're going to start with Jeff and I together in the studio when we had a phone call with Alex Vega. Alex has his own supercar specialty shop and a brand new show called The Auto Firm. We wanted to check in with him and find out about the show. You having problems with that carbon fiber case? Dude, this case is hardcore, <laughs> but yeah. Like, it's supposed to be hardcore. It's why it's a carbon fiber case. Exactly. But, but you look like you're straining, man. Get, I thought you work out. It gets locked in this. You can't get your phone out of there? I'm trying to be After gentle. going to the gym? It's, a, it's carbon fiber. You don't have to be gentle. Uh, no, it. Do you think that's real carbon fiber? Bend it. Yeah, it could be. Bend. Yeah, yeah. Really? Well, no, I don't want to break it, dude. No, it's. You, it could be you carbon can't fiber. Break carbon fiber? Well, yeah, no, but I, I mean, you can break carbon you're, fiber. You're not that strong. You can break. Okay, so it's fiber. one. Maybe it's one layer of carbon fiber. Right. One layer of carbon fiber, but it's so stiff. It's kind of like those Jeep people that paint their Jeep with Rhino Liner and say that it's Kevlar. Right. It's yeah. Not Kevlar, I, I don't think. It, I don't think it's bulletproof. I don't want to break my phone inside the carbon fiber. I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. I wouldn't want to break my phone inside the carbon fiber either. Right, because it's an expensive phone. Like right. I'd rather break the. Do you the think thing. that carbon fiber case can stop a bullet? Uh no. Okay. You you want you want to find out? And I put thought your we phone. could go try it with your phone we can put your phone no, in no, there no 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 my phone won't fit you know, that's true hello is this alex yes it is alex alex how's it going this is jeff and ethan with skidmark show what's up my friend hey good man what's going on buddy not much so your flight was all right earlier obviously yes they <laughs> got here late like you know always from new york it always happens but we're good now you're uh you're down in back in miami where the shop is and everything <clears throat> yes i'm back here man okay so what's the name of the shop the auto firm the auto firm and uh we were reading your bio you've got the new show on velocity you've been doing cars since the day you walked out of uh your college class on day one right the day one buddy is what i wanted to do and i went for it <laughs> growing up in miami um, I think because you and I were both born in 74. So you grew up watching like Miami Vice. Was that one of the big influences you had? Everybody wanted to do cars after Miami Vice. <laughs> Miami Vice really, that was a little bit later. It was more the Dukes of Hazard, uh, Starskin Hutch, the A-Team. Um, well, who didn't like the A-Team the van? Yeah. It actually made a van cool. I mean, yeah. if you were going to drive Rider. a van. Yeah, Knight Rider. I mean, that really sparked Knight it up. Knight Rider was the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Give it up yeah, for the those hassle. Those cars off. are really the ones that inspire me at a young age. You know? Yeah, I do. And 
uh, so you've got your own shop now, the auto firm, and apparently you've got some big name clientele on there. You do a lot of uh, athletes. How'd you get hooked up with the athletes? Was it just uh, quality cars? It was. Wor- it's been more word of mouth. I mean, it started. You know, it started with uh, in Miami. It was Antoine Walker was one of my first NBA guys. Actually, no, Alonzo Morning was Alonzo Morning, and um, little by little, they just you know they get to the to where they play and they park their car and all of a sudden everybody's like man his car looks better than mine who does your cars and little by little word by you know word of mouth and all these trades that go on nowadays not like when we were growing up that teammates stayed in the same team for years it, it really benefited my business because you'd have guys going from another team to a team that I already have a, a client in and see their cars and be like man that car looks good or man that car looks good and word of mouth like that it just grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger you know when you do the bigger names more more of the younger guys want to do their cars with you so when you started doing all these nba cars i mean obviously there's got to be a lot of seat adjustments that go into a lot of these cars because i know oh, yeah. i know it's shack Big time. and you know his cars on the <laughs> west coast they're they were they were having to customize every single one of them seat <laughs> tracks extended lowering the seat cushions so that's got to be an interesting part of the business is having to you know it, stuff these guys was, in these exotic it cars was crazy doing that yeah we actually had to do that on for Boozer. we did it on the ferrari the seat to to make him fit inside the ferrari and remake a new seat for it oh brand new seat all the way through all the way through man who's the tallest guy you've had to do a, a car for um jerome james he used to play i think for the knicks this was years ago i think he was seven seven or something Holy. he was one of the tallest guys yeah and he probably didn't want a big car <laughs> <laughs> and to get his foot to touch the pedal and and his knee not to buckle was was tough enough, you know? It was crazy. How do you get a seven foot seven guy? What was he driving? A Ferrari, a Lamborghini? What was he want? Uh he no, he had a Rolls Royce, he had an S class. Okay. We usually removed the brackets in the bottom and re- reposition the brackets and make the seats go more back than they normally go. And in some cases, you also have to work with the pedal, the accelerator and everything. But it always worked out great. Did you ever have play that game once you started getting a bunch of guys on the same team coming in and go, hey, you know, so-and-so said that your car kind of sucks or your car is not as good. And you try to up them up, you know, upsell them on their own cars with their own teammates? I think the biggest, the biggest war that I had like that that was hilarious and it was all over their Instagram was Hanley Ramirez and Uribe. They were always going back and forth because uh, Uribe always did cars with me. He recommended uh, Hanley to me, so he would get mad because Hanley would try to up him, and he'd call me and say, man, I recommended you to him. Why are you doing that to me? They end up, one buys a Ferrari, the other one buys a Lambo, then the other one buys a Lambo convertible, and you know, it's hilarious. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't stop, does it? It just keeps going up and up and up. And it's good for you. It's great for my business. <laughs> so let's talk <laughs> so about the show. Man. Let's talk about the show for a minute. So you're on Velocity. How did that all come about? Um, Cespedes showed up in spring training last year. Everybody knows that. Uh, and he had a car parade. Every day he showed up with a different car. And I think that's the first time I realized, man, I remember as a kid looking at the Dukes of Hazards and seeing the car jumping around and saying, one day I want to build a car and everybody's going to know I did it. And it happened that day. That day it was every channel you turned to, everything you searched in the computer, pictures popped up about Cespedes showing up with all these cars and I'm the one that had done them and that was crazy because everybody started uh, production companies from everywhere started calling me 
uh, they wanted to do a show about my about my business, what I do. Uh, the New York Times article helped me out a lot too. New York Times did a whole article on me, and I just search and see which company I wanted to go with that would actually film a show that was based on reality. I didn't want drama. There's no fighting, no arguing here. Um, I didn't want to do the same thing that there always is when you watch these car shows. Um, oh, we have a big problem that's going to set us back sometime. And th that doesn't exist in my place. In my place, we have professional guys that are probably the best in this business and everything. When they come to me, it's a solution. So I found the right production company. Velocity uh, took the show, and I'm very, very happy that I that I went with Velocity. I'm happy I went with the production company I went with because they pretty much let me film a show that is based on reality. What was the production company? Amuse Entertainment. Oh, okay, cool. Well, we uh, the the show just launched. It was on Wednesday night, so you've got one episode out there, and we're excited <clears throat> to see some more, man. How did did you have a big watching party at the shop with the family around? I was in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go to New York and do a little bit of press and everything, but um, definitely the the next episodes are going to blow people's mind away because you're going to see a lot more fabrication work, more of the stuff. It's hard to to you know to fit all these cars into the show. How are you going to do episode one, two, three? I was happy with one because it shows I deal with the regular people from the street and I deal with athletes, and it shows really who i am you know i could have painted uh carrasco's ferrari and charged him 12 grand to paint the car and i chose not to i chose to wrap it for him because i know how they switch cars uh so often so it shows that side of me which is real um the scene where the, the wheels in the back i didn't like how they look there it's my brand i make my own wheels of forza and i wasn't happy with it and i don't want one of my cars sitting in a stadium and guys are looking at the car saying man the back looks weak so i'd rather spend the money and myself and eat two wheels and make two new wheels and make it look the right way because that's how I get my business. Smart. That's a that's the best way to do business. I yeah. agree with that. Plus, anytime you're 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 gonna deal with a high high dollar vehicle, smart way to go is to wrap it because if you're gonna paint it, you're just you know later down the road these like you said these ball players they change their cars like they do their underwear. So it's yep. it's, it's a lot easier to unwrap it back to the original finish, and it's a lot and more that's what sellable. Believe it or not, that's sometimes what some some shops they, they say. How does this guy have so many athletes? And they don't realize a lot of these shops get these guys and they they're an athlete and they think oh they have money and they try to sell them everything they can I'm I treat them like regular people and I save them money because they have 10 12 year careers and they realize that after a while they're like man this guy is real with me he he saved me a ton of money throughout my career and they stay loyal and they tell the guys that are coming in say hey, look if you're gonna do a car take it to this guy because they end up in another shop they get bushered right. boy do they <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us on the show today my friend good thank you for having me guys yeah have best of luck day. with the show man take care you got it bye -bye. all right bye-bye Next, I had the opportunity to interview Kenny Wayne Shepard, our friend we've known for many, many years. Of course, with Ted Moser from Picture Car Warehouse. They do a bunch of builds together. We talked to Kenny at SEMA last year, and I just wanted to get him on the horn and find out what's happening in his world and if he's going to be at SEMA this year or not. Hey, Kitty. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Great, man. Uh, it's Ethan from Skidmark Show. Hadn't seen you since SEMA last year. Are you going this year, too? Uh, 
you know, that's the plan. Although I think I just recently looked at my calendar and I think I'm going to be in Europe the first week of November. So I got to look at the SEMA dates to see what exactly they are. Uh, I can tell you right now, it is that first week in November. It goes right over Halloween. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in Europe, man, which is kind of a bummer because I, I love going to SEMA, you know, it's, but, you know, it's good to be working, too. Yeah, exactly. It's always good. And it's good to be uh, basically on a free trip to Europe, right? It's a little bit of a vacation. You're traveling and seeing the, the world. All right. Well, uh, SEMA is going to be October 30th through uh, November 4th. So, yeah, you'll probably be there, which means we won't get together then. But we got our time now. Right, man. Uh, you and Ted working on any vehicles that you're going to send, or were you just going to go uh, for good times? No, I'm just going to show up. I do have a couple projects. You know, like uh, Ted's got my 74 Ram Charger at his shop. It's kind of been in progress for a little while, but uh, I've been really busy. He's been really busy, so we haven't made a whole lot of recent progress on it. I have a 70 Barracuda convertible that's been sitting around for about six years that I'm actually just now going to get rolling and uh, I got a guy in Oklahoma, Jesse Matlock, and he was, I met him at SEMA last year and he built a red 71 Cuda that was in a booth there that got a lot of attention. Uh, I think he calls it Striker and uh, I was really impressed with his work and so he and I have been talking I think I'm going to send the Barracuda down to him to do some uh, paint and body work and then send it over to my friends at year one for assembly. So I'm hoping to have that car finished in the next year or so. Your CUDA isn't uh, purple, is it? I, I'm just seeing this purple CUDA in my head for some reason. No, no. Mine, right now, the rendering that we have is a two-tone blue and black car. So I think we're sticking with that. Hey, blue on black makes perfect sense, right? There you go. Yep. Speaking of uh, the music, man, the new album laid on down. It popped out. You guys are already making a whole lot of waves with the singles. You got nothing but the night and uh, laid on down the title track. Which one is taking off more for you? Well, they're all kind of doing well. We actually, and the first song that we put out there was called Baby Got Gone, and that one got a lot of traction too. But, um, you know, they're all doing pretty good. Uh, what's really impressive is that the official release date for the record was August 4th, so it's been a week, and we got our first numbers uh, for the debut, and the album debuted at number one on the Billboard Blues chart, the rock chart, the internet chart, whatever that is, and <laughs> also number five on the new release chart, so on the current album chart, I guess I should say. So those are really strong numbers, uh, you know, for the first week, and so we're really excited about that and obviously hope to continue the momentum with it. You know, speaking of something like the internet chart that's brand new, you've actually been in the business uh, long enough to see that whole side of it change. Has the internet helped you and, and the blues guys much at all? Has it made a big change in how you guys even uh, try to distribute the music? Well, once you once people are able to adapt to it, then you can figure out ways to help to make it work for you. I mean, at first, you know, the whole internet thing and, uh, you know, Napster and all that stuff took everybody by surprise. And so literally overnight, it was like people went from having the ability to sell a million records to like being happy with 200,000 records. And now it's like you sell 100,000 records, you're an extreme success, you know, yeah. only like only like the biggest stars out there are selling, you know, one or two or three million records. And that's like, but back in the 90s, that would have been 15 million records, you know? Right. So uh, that kind of shocked everybody. But then once you've kind of figured out a way to adapt to the new way of doing things, it's like the internet's given people a voice, that a, a far larger voice and an opportunity to reach more people than they ever could have on their own before. And for somebody like myself, that's an established artist, um, it helps us. It's helped us to 
to connect with our core fan base and then also reconnect with some of the fans that maybe we lost touch with over the years, you know, in certain areas that we haven't been back to in a while. Do you find that the, the Blues audience is still bigger in America or has it gotten bigger? Because there's a huge battle where uh, in England the Blues took over and that's where we got the Stones and everybody, but it all was born here in America. So where do you find, uh, do you, is it more popular across the pond or still here in the U.S.? Well, right now it's popular in both, but there have been many times over the course of history where the Europeans have supported blues music when the Americans not so much. Um, so, but, you know, for, for a while now, there's been a really strong support for blues music pretty much since, uh, well, since Stevie Ray Vaughan came along. But you see resurgences. You see these cycles that happen where it becomes more and more popular and more people are showing up. And you see new faces in the crowds and people that are checking it out for the first time. And that usually happens when popular music gets so saturated that it all sounds the same and it's all kind of like crappy and people there's nothing new that's really come along and people are looking for something with some real substance to it so they start looking around and a lot of people find their way back to blues music. Is there a country uh, anywhere on the planet that kind of surprised you to actually even have a big blues fan base? Did you go, oh, I never thought we'd go to Norway. I thought it was all death metal. Uh, no, I mean <clears throat> you know, I, I've, I've kind of like stopped being surprised a long time ago at how far uh, blues music has reached uh, across the world and, and the people that, I mean, they have blues festivals in India, you know, and stuff like that. So See, that everywhere. actually surprises yeah. me right now. That I would I would never have guessed that blues would have been big in India, but I guess why not, right? Yeah, they have a huge blues festival there. We haven't played it yet, but there's a really big blues festival there. So, you know, I mean, it touches people all over the world. I will call my buddy in India and say, hey, uh, <laughs> uh, call Kenny and hook it up, right? Right. Hey, um, you also <laughs> had some really cool side projects going on with some big name guys. Are, you, are those still in the works? Are you guys still having fun with that or are you just focused on uh, Lay It On Down? Well, right now I'm focused on my record and touring for this project. Um, I mean, I still have my other band with Steven Stills uh, and Barry Goldberg uh, called The Bride, you know, which is a throwback to our love for cars. Um, and, you know, we've done two albums and three tours together as a band and the last tour was in March and May of this year and we were having discussions about going in the studio at the end of this year and making another record so there should be a third album from that band and another tour hopefully sometime next year alright well check your calendar see if you can make it at least a couple days at SEMA if you do stop by we're going to take over the whole big stage there for Shell and we'd love to have you come up and play some tunes man right on well if I can do it I'll be there but I have a bad feeling I'm going to be out of the country so well, I'll have to check my schedule and see thanks Kenny you have a great one man love the yeah. album buddy thanks man good talking to you you too bud and finally, Jeff had flown off to California for Monterey Car Week and to be a part of the Fuel Run. So I had him call me and tell me all about his adventures in California. Yo. What's happening, homie? Hey, man, we are just bumping and grinding out here in the Dallas heat. Okay, so you're back in the Dallas heat because you were in the Southern California kind of heat for a little while. Man, I tell you what, it was pretty hot out there. Yeah, I bet it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the nice difference between the Dallas heat and the California heat is the the lack of humidity. Okay, because I figured that the uh, the California heat would come with a little bit of a ocean breeze. Well, that was that was nice. Once we got up in the Monterey area, we you know we went out there to do uh, car week. Right. Monterey Car Week. And I got to tell you, man, that is the bucket list for any car guy in the world. I don't care 
what kind of car you're into. I mean, even though it's really kind of skewed towards European and exotic and, and all that stuff, it, it really, it covers the spectrum. I can't even tell you the amount of muscle cars I saw there. The, I, mean, I mean, there's even a, a group of like the ugliest cars there. There's like these little, you know, Yugos and stuff running around. So it covers a full spectrum. It's unbelievable. It's a definite must do. Put on your bucket list, make it happen. So this is something that like everybody in the world of all level of car fan can go to, right? I mean, it's kind of open to the public in almost every area there. Yeah, I mean, it's open to the public with some pretty high price tags to go to these. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, nothing's free. But uh, there's also a lot of things you don't have to pay for that are just outstanding. Like to give you an example. The Pebble Beach experience is unbelievable. Um, just the, the amount of, of cars and, and the dollars that are there and the amount of time and effort to either preserve these cars as they are or completely restore them back to the way they originally were and to have them displayed on such a scenic area as Pebble Beach right there next to the water is just incredible. Okay, so uh, should we start at the very top? Because I think we both know what the very top vehicle you saw there was or should we start with something maybe a little older uh and maybe lower end where do you want to start when we start talking about the cars that were actually there well buddy i i don't even know where you want to go with that there there is there's so much to cover and it's unbelievable just to think about the journey of this but what i was getting to just a minute ago was the fact that there's actually a class at Pebble Beach where the cars have to drive on a certain, um, I don't even know how many mile drive it is, I have to look up for it, to qualify for this certain class, right? So they have to actually get out, and I'm not talking about a five mile drive, I'm talking, it's pretty extensive. Megan, I actually did it in her Aston after everybody was done, just to see how far and what they were putting these cars through and the pace, and it was unbelievable. We drove all the way up to where they had closed the one from the mudslides, and then we had to come back and go through town, and it was incredible, and I thought, you know, there's some of these cars out there, these these 1901s and 1921s, and I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to drive them that far. So they got to take these old, um, the really, really old, like, crank start cars on this road course, is what you're saying, just to qualify for part of the whole Car Week thing. Well, pr pretty much for Pebble, uh, there is one class, and you have to, the cars have to run on this course to get put in the class. So it's not like a car that you can just roll out of a trailer as a trailer queen, park it in its spot, and call it a day. These cars actually have to go on the road at speed and perform and do all the stuff, all their functions like they're supposed to, and then they come back and get graded on the, on the concourse. Wow. Yeah, so... But, you know, what's interesting was we started this whole deal with the fuel run where we went from Malibu to Monterey. Okay, why is I it called the even, fuel run? Why is it called the fuel run? Probably because we're using a lot of fuel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just that it's the name they came up with. It's the people from Gold Rush Rally, and it's the fuel run. And then they also do exotics on Cannery Row. So the fuel run, the first leg of the fuel run is actually all the cars meet at Gladstones in Malibu, right on the water, basically. A hundred exotic cars, including at that point, at the starting line, we had eight eggs, or eight Koenig's eggs, but uh, as their nickname is eggs. And there was and, uh, eight so of had, them? Yeah, we had eight eggs in a basket. Wow. <laughs> Nice. Right? So uh, that's that was at the starting line for all this stuff. So, you know, we knew going into it, we were taking Meg's Aston and we had to step it up a notch because it was like, you know, we're going to put a lot of miles on the car. It's a beautiful black car with uh, red and black interior, but we're like, you know what? We need to wrap it and kind of make it jump because 
in a world of Koenigseggs and Bugattis and Paganis and, and a boatload of Ferraris and other Italian things, this Aston, which, you know, for the Brits, this is a high-level car, needed to stand out a little bit. So we did this epic wrap that I can't believe how well it turned out. If you haven't seen it, go to the face, our Facebook pages and check it out. Um, but, uh, you know, it was one of those wraps that when you started doing it, I was like, you know, the wrap's good, but it's not epic. Right. And what it turned out to be was it's one of my favorite wraps. One of the key ingredients to the whole deal was, and, and over the top, was because of our partnership with Pennzoil, we wanted to put some yellow on it. Well, usually we're, you, you would have to force that on a lot of different cars. But we were lucky enough that when we were pulling up images of the Aston Martin race car, you see their accents are yellow. Their colors are green and yellow. So the car would be green, and, and then the mouth would be outlined in yellow, and the mirrors and the rocker panels. So we actually stole that design from the race car. And then I, I wanted to do something with the Union Jack because I just I love that flag. You know, I think it's back to the Def Leppard Pyromania days when I wanted that muscle tee, you know, that they had. Do you oh, yeah. That? Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It was back <laughs> when the drummer had two arms. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, it, <laughs> oh, we went off on a different topic. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I wanted to do that, but I didn't want to do that. You know, after uh, Austin Powers, you know, and, and the guy who shagged me and they did the whole Jaguar and the bright Union Jack wrap. Right. I was like, man, I just, it's too bright for me. It's too in your face. So we actually um, started looking through stuff. And, and I remembered when we did the Mini Takes the State not that long ago that a gentleman there had a Union Jack flag on the roof of his Mini Cooper that was black and white and gray tones. And I, that's where I picked up that from. And then I kind of got with Jeremy from Sign Design right there in Lubbock. And I said, hey, man, what this thing to kind of look like all this stuff's morphing and then form the flag in the back like it's all coming together. And I got to tell you, they pulled it off. It's it's incredible. Yeah, they did a fantastic so. job on that car. It looks beautiful. So did... Okay, was it like a timed thing? Because you're up against all the Koenigseggs there. How did the Aston compare to the Koenigseggs? Was it a timed rally, where is it kind of like a race? Well, I got to tell you, this is the funny thing about it, and even the, the people that put on the event um, kind of laughed about it later. But you know what? When you have eight Koenigseggs in a road rally going from Malibu to Monterey, the insurance alone for that has got to be astronomical. Oh, yeah. So the funny thing is the Koenigseggs never went over 80 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and all of us in our daily driven exotics, we're just all like, well, all right, you know, let's open them up a little bit. And how do they expect a Koenigsegg to do for reals? Because that is closer to a track car. It's so low to the ground. I mean, the Astons are low, but Koenigseggs, you could really mess them up on any of your standard just uh, streets throughout a city, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Koenigsegg and, you know, a lot of these cars that we're talking about that were up in the Monterey area are, you know, very similar to, you know, the um, actually a step above in, in many aspects to a lot of people, the Porsche Carrera GT, but I'm so familiar with the Carrera GT and the carbon fiber frame and everything that went through that, that it was well known in the Porsche industry that if you took a Carrera GT over a speed bump wrong, you could actually hurt the frame oh, yeah. on that car. So just imagine that with a Koenigsegg or a Pagani or, or even a Bugatti. I mean, you're talking million-dollar cars here, and some of them are multi-million. They're not even just a mill, you know? Oh, yeah. So um, to see, but to see them all together and to see, you know, since they're all individually designed and, and, you know, the owners got to put their input into most of them, it was just really cool gathering. And like I said, I've never seen eight eggs all sitting there together other than the grocery store. Right. Okay, that sounds like fun. 
But there were two cars, at least, that I saw had kind of like a reveal there. There was one car that was the first one delivered in America. And then there was yes. a Pagani that was uh, revealed there, I believe, at the Pebble Beach Concourse at night, right? Right. So basically what happened was when we got up there to Monterey, obviously we did the run. We ended up, and I'm going to let you guys in on a big hint right now. If you're going to do Monterey, do yourself a huge favor and go ahead and make your dinner reservations now. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm just telling you, man, if you want to eat good while you're up there, you need to plan ahead. Because if you don't, you're going to be at McDonald's. I'm telling you. Well, yeah, all the restaurant owners probably know all the people at Monterey, and they're all having private parties for their friends. Well, they are. There's a lot of private parties that go on, and that's kind of what you saw there a little bit with the Bugatti party. Actually, a good friend of ours, I'm going to leave his name uh, out of it just because he doesn't like the publicity, but he was the first owner of the Chiron, the U.S. Uh, oh. delivered Chiron that was on display there, and that was his personal car. Yeah. And so we got invited to go to the Bugatti party and experience that whole thing with him, which was incredible. And on top of it, I got to tell you a little bit of a funny story. I'm going to be poking fun of uh, one of my idols, but hey, why not, right? Yep. It's all about a podcast, and we're all about being real. So I'm sitting on stage. The gentleman um, from Bugatti puts on the white gloves. He's opening the door. We're looking at the vehicle. I'm standing there with the family of the owner of the car, and we're having a conversation about, oh, man, I can't, you know, the colors just are popping, you know, the yellow the car was just off the chain when you see it, it live it's even I, I don't even know how to say it more magnificent than even photos can do it justice but anyway so we're sitting there and meg taps me on the shoulder and she says do you realize who's in front of you and at this time i had kind of i'd already looked inside the car and i'd backed off from it more people were coming up trying to look into it and i said i really kind of looked at her probably with a dumbfounded look on my face like huh you know and she said, do you realize who's in front of you right now? And I said, no. And she said, Arnold. And I literally, I kid you not, Ethan, I turned around cause, and I'm looking, I'm looking for Arnold. And I'm actually looking at my height for Arnold. <laughs> yeah, and I literally had to look down and I go, oh my gosh, that is Arnold Schwarzenegger right in front of me. Yeah. And he's only like six, six feet, six, two, maybe. So he's a little shorter than well, you are. Here is a little bit of a spoiler on that, ladies and gentlemen. That news is fake. What? It is fake in bank, baby. He's 5'10 with his hair off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking anything away from him. Everything he's accomplished in life, other than sleeping with the maid, I totally am for. I mean, from his business standpoint to everything that he's created and achieved in his life. I mean, I read his autobiography. I knew the background of where he came from. I knew that ever before he made his first movie, he was already a millionaire with, you know, property he bought and gym ownerships. And so I really admired the guy, you know. So it was really a really cool pleasure to meet him. He's very humble. He's not the cocky Arnold I would have thought when I met him. Um, but he is 5'10". See, I, I'm a fan, too. I really am. Uh, you know, he seems like a really, really smart, nice guy. But, yeah, he's shorter than me. That's definitely something I was not prepared for. Yeah, and I wasn't either. And I got to tell you, I mean, he was standing in front of me. And uh, those photos that you see on Facebook and on social media and on Instagram, that's not photoshopped. It's not at a different angle. He wasn't downhill. He was on a level playing field with me. I don't care what his PR people say. <laughs> um 
but six he, he he claims he's six one on the you know stats on on online and I'm telling you it's five ten. I mean and you could say people get old they shrink. I mean maybe but he's definitely hadn't been six foot for a long time. Well he's still so, and probably always gonna be stronger than me. So he's gonna have that and I'm totally oh, okay with that. Yeah. Please. At his age, yeah. he could still probably outrun me, out wrestle, out strength training. I mean the guy's a beast. And he's getting ready for Terminator 6, and the more the merrier. And it was just a great pleasure to meet him in person because it's like one of those things that, you know, I look back through my life, and there's one person I've always said was the number one person I would have liked to have met growing up, and that would have been Bruce Lee. And unfortunately, that's never going to happen. Right. And then after that, it was Arnold. It was Stallone. It was Van Damme. It was all these people that I considered the action heroes of the time, and it was all the people that I admired. Um, obviously, I didn't follow suit like them and go to the gym like I should, uh, but but I was going for a different look. Uh, but anyway, it was really cool to finally meet him in person and it, and, it, and him not to, I mean, not to be so arrogant. He was very down to earth, you know, and when you meet celebrities all the time, it's one of those interesting things because, you know, you have two, and, and I know this, we've met people before in the rock world or in, you know, the movie star world, and we're like, hey, I really wish I wouldn't have met that person because they're not as cool as I thought. Oh, it happens all the time, yeah, and it can yeah. be disappointing. So I think if uh, if we ever bump into Arnold in public again, we'll have to put him to the ultimate test because I'm pretty sure he can bench press me, but could he bench press you? Uh, I don't know if he could bench press me, but, uh, I mean, I think he could. Yeah. Um, I don't uh, – he might have to wrap me up like in some cellophane or something to keep me still, uh, you know, because that's the whole thing. It's all about making sure the weight doesn't move, you know, because it, it isn't that hard to bench press 300 pounds, but it is if you're jiggly like me. Well, if you're, if you're ticklish and so. you're kind of twitchy and giggling, yeah, that makes it harder to bench press something that's giggling. Exactly. So that's the whole thing right there. There's a point where I'm like, you know, hey, this guy, he is how many times Mr. Olympiad, you know, and he's beat the best of the best, and he's overcome, you know, the language barrier to, to make millions upon millions of dollars in the, the U.S. market and films. Hey, my hat's off to him. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody's got their skeletons in their closet. He slept with the maid, you know, but they have a, 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 a son now that looks like the spitting image of Arnold. Yeah. So I'm sure it was a little hard to hide in around the house. Hey, that, that maid's son sure looks a lot like you. <laughs> when the kid's running around the house saying it's not the Tuma, then you know yeah, yeah. there's a connection. Yeah, but it was it was cool to meet him, um, you know, and, and not to take anything away from the uh, Bugatti party. I mean, the Bugatti party was off the chain. Really well done. Really just, you know, kind of laid out and, and uh, nice display um the car was incredible it was on kill but then that was just the start of the evening then we moved to the bagani park see that's the other one yeah they had that one under wraps on the lawn and that was the brand new model um pagani which looked just not nearly as good as the bugatti the sharon is an amazing piece but the bagani is right next to it well let me tell you what you didn't pick up in the video and in the pictures of the pagani that um you know, later, I'm sure the press photos got some close-ups of it, but we were out there at night for the unveiling and the, uh, and, and the whole reveal process. So the whole deal went down where that car is actually blue visual carbon fiber. Ooh. And 
there's a blue tint in the carbon fiber, and it is just breathtaking. Oh. It's unbelievable. And then if you go and look at the interior shots, you know, it's funny, but, you know, uh, you look at golfers that wear the plaid pants and, and all that stuff, and, and we kind of make fun of them because I'm like, I would never go out in public like that. The seats were plaid, but I would sure, I would own that car. I mean, it's kind of a throwback to the interior designs of the 70s, you know, especially like with Porsche had some really crazy cloth inserts uh, in the 70s and 80s. And this car is off the chain with all those kind of designs, but they were implemented well. So when you look at it, you're like, oh my gosh, you, you buy the whole package. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it right now on the internet, and that thing is just, uh, it's the Barchetta, is it the Zonda Barchetta? That thing is it's a, a Zonda. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay, so you got that one. Uh, I saw a Ferrari there, too, that I hadn't seen. It had a weird-looking front end. Was there a new Ferrari released? You know, that's a good question. I mean, it, it's always hard to see what... I didn't see a new Ferrari release. Okay. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. I didn't end up at the Ferrari party. That's all right. You get but, the Bugatti party and the Pagani party, and that's some party party. Yeah, and then, you know, the other thing that we're... The other things that we're involved in was, you know, we did the... Uh, Exotics on Cannery Row, and most people don't realize the Exotics on Cannery Row is a is another just a playground for the ultimate car guys. Here you have this wonderfully set up deal down there in in the Cannery Row, which I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a shopping area with restaurants and shops, and it's fun to go down there. There's a huge aquarium there, and now you bring in 200 plus exotic cars and line the streets with them. Uh, it turned out that there was 20 thousand spectators this year wow unbelievable now these aren't like the some of the spectators we've seen before who were all um sticky fingers hands all over the cars were they you know that was the nice thing about having the aston wrapped uh and being there early we actually had res like i said earlier little hint make your reservations for dinner so we knew we were going to be at cannery row we know what time we we're going to be there how long our car needed to sit there so we literally parked the car locked it up kind of did a hell mary prayer for the whole deal about okay please don't let anybody sit on my car and, and walked away from it because it gave the time for the car to get exposure get photoed without somebody like me glooming around going don't, don't, don't touch it you know don't get too close and the whole thing was i was like you know the car's wrapped we're gonna be okay yeah so um yeah it was very nice it was it was funny a lot of people came up to us and said oh wonderful unbelievable paint job uh, you know all that good stuff so that was pretty cool um, but, you know, at the same time, I've got to go into so much. I mean, we packed in so much in a short time. And then with this call with you, I've got to pack in so much. Because, you know, I've got to move on because we went to um, the Concorso Italiano. Oh, yeah. That's like the big thing, isn't it? Oh, well, it's everything's a big thing there. Oh, that's Pebble true. Beach, I would have to say, is the biggest. But Concorso Italiano is on a golf course. And it's just Italian sports cars over and over and over again and it's the coolest thing if you go in there i did a little facebook live on it but you'll see all these lamborghinis and all these ferraris and you see the rarest of rare colors that show up to these deals stuff that you wouldn't even see in a magazine back in the day or if you did it's just super rare to see one in existence and you would see just oddball colors kind of like when we went to the ferrari uh owners club you know annual meeting we did that last year you and i yeah in ohio yeah and we met the gentleman with the green 308 ferrari 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're seeing cars of that nature at that caliber or even higher caliber with these great backstories and just incredible cars. And I mean, you're seeing all the years of all the Lamborghinis all lined up on one side. You're seeing all the Ferraris. You're seeing 70 years of Ferraris lined up and all the configuration. You're seeing even the Italian inspired you know, cars that teamed up with Ford, like Pantera's. You're seeing anything that has an Italian vibe to it. Alphas, you name it, it was there. And their spread is unbelievable. If you've ever gone to an event where cars are parked on a uh, golf course, you know what I'm talking about. But with the Corsa Italiano, it just kind of takes the cake. It's incredible. It's over the top. You leave there in a an Italian car overload. You know, because there's just so many cars there, especially for me where I go, oh, that's my favorite. And then I turn around and go, wait a minute, that's my favorite. Oh, wait a minute, I for- I didn't see that. Oh, that's my favorite. I'll take all of them. You I- know, and that's that's the feeling you leave with that. And you, you know, you, you just go into this deal feeling, I, I don't even know how to express how I felt when I left. You know, it's. I still find it amazing that they put them on the golf courses because I don't know if I would have enough self-control to be in a million-dollar car on a golf course and not just do donuts my all the way off when it's, you know, last day. <laughs> I think you have to just have some, uh, you know... Class? Well, I don't know that it's really class. I think it's just, you know, you kind of got to resist the urge. You mean have some restraint? Know which... that you're gonna, you, I mean, most of these guys, once they get on the street, they're ripping them. You know, they're going. They're going through the gears. They're having a good time. These are, you know, a lot of these cars are V12s. They're, um, but they're meticulously taken care of. So yeah. um, just to see a gathering of that and just, you know, it's, it's one thing to go down the street and you see, oh, well, look, there's a Ferrari over here getting Valley Parked or a Lamborghini and you see one or two. But to see them all in a row and to see the years and the, the evolution of the body styles and the color choices and the interior and the amenities that go into all these cars and how it is advanced is incredible. And you get to do it all in one setting, all at one place. That sounds that was cool. like fun. So I'm going to yeah. have to try and work pretty hard and work my way up to owning a, a supercar so I can go to one of these. Well, you don't have to because, bud, this is the first year we've actually taken an exotic car to this event. Most times we've flown in, got a rental car, been in a black Tahoe, gone from location to location. And uh, that was the whole deal. Meg said, if I'm going back, I'm going back in a sports car. I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the journey i want to be feel like i'm a part of it and that was the difference and that was pretty cool to be able to take our aston from event to event to event even though it was concorso italiano we pulled up in our aston so it, it was still such a cool event great they're, they're they're classy people that put it on i love sitting there listening to when all the cars come up to be you know announced and the judges talk about them and the backstories are incredible because some of these barn finds or they've been in the family all these years that was incredible and, you know, I'd been to the Concorso Italiano for a few years now, so it's really just one of my favorite stopping points when I'm in Monterey. What I was blown away at this year was part of being on with the fuel run is the second fuel run took us on this beautiful, scenic 120-mile drive, which brought us all the way back to Laguna Seca, to the racetrack. Ooh, that one's I a good one, too. You, yeah, with the vintage racing cars, and these guys are out there spanking those cars hard. I mean... Some cars on the track are three, four, five million dollar cars, and they're out there running their, their their little hearts out. You know what I mean? And to see all these cars that just don't look good, but they run good, and you see the whole evolution of the racing industry and all the different classes, that was incredible. Oh, that and, sounds um, like fun. Th- that was so much fun. 
So, you know, we got to cover both of those. You know, I think Megan's favorite part was Pebble Beach. She got to dress up, you know, because that's part of the deal when you go to Pebble Beach. It's the outfit. Your outfit is as much as important as the cars that are there. Kind of like the hat at the Kentucky Derby. Exactly. You got it. And the funny thing was, is, is all... Most all of us were dressed up, but Jay Leno's still running around in a blue denim shirt. No so way. No. Was he actually I in the denim? I promise you he was. Are you kidding me? No. He may have put a sport coat on later, but when we saw him, he was definitely running around in the. But it, it was probably a blue denim sport coat, too. Oh, yeah, probably. What a tool. But, you know, that, that's the cool part about this thing is you see so many different types of people at this event. And, you, you know, from bodybuilders to, you know, TV stars to rock stars, that anybody that's just a car enthusiast goes to this. And it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing how over the top, I mean, you don't even realize it, but there's a certain point you're just like, wow, I don't think I can see anything better than the cars I've seen today. And then the next day, you show up at another event and you're just blown away again all right well that sounds like one of the coolest things that i'm gonna have to add to my bucket list but uh for right now we're also gonna get ready for sema 2017 because that's coming up very soon and we're gonna be hanging out there all week too you know it well we're, we're that's what we're doing here i mean we are moving and grooving i mean we're full throttle right now we've got you know our 63 ford falcon codenamed keanu we are cranking on that and now we just picked up another build i can't it's a secret what company i'm doing it for but i will tell you that flat 12 gallery is now doing a second build for sema Oh, very cool. All right. Well, we'll have to get into details on that as soon as you can, which I know you can't do yet. Uh, But that'll be coming up on an episode very soon between now and I guess, you know, SEMA when we really or when you release the car in uh, October, November. So stay tuned for that. And of course, download all of our old episodes at iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Podbean, CastBox and SkidmarkShow.com. Skidmark Show, America's favorite show about cars, rock stars and the stars that drive cars. Powered by Bill.